0: It is go time for another ninety ninth episode. Hey, that's that is on. Start the recording. I've got a. All right, sounds good. Go
1: ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll go ahead.
0: Well, good morning, Paul. <laughs>
1: Good morning. Nice to meet you here.
0: (laughs) It's nice to meet you here as well on this lovely 99th episode. The internet weather is delightful. And yeah, here we are. So I I realized something, Paul, kind of strange. And to put it in context, a while back I think I talked about how I had been drawing again a little bit. And yeah. I was trying to keep up with November which is a, a one of those just online Twitter drawing events, kind of like Inktober. But it's G.I. Joe-centric for the month of November. And... I fell off of it right after about 13 days or so. <laughs> I got through like 13 or 14 days, and then work got really busy. It was the holidays, like Thanksgiving holiday, and I it was mainly work because when you're waking up and starting work at about 7 o'clock and then you're working until 7 or 8 at night, it's tough to find an hour to draw a picture of a silly G.I. Joe man. Yeah. So, anyway, I started it up again, though, for December to try to finish off that set of drawings. So, I'm doing 12 drawings, this time of Cobras rather than G.I. Joe's. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I saw, yeah, I saw, I like it.
0: Yeah. And the thing that I realized about Cobra that I never quite realized before, because. I am looking at references of the actual action figures to get the details of what needs to be drawn for each figure Cobra is really kinky (laughs) and I never quite realized this before and what really made me start to think huh this is strange is Copperhead and do you know who Copperhead is at all? He's the driver Uh, of the water moccasin. Just vaguely. He's a big burly dude who wears a very strange helmet, and he wears green and turquoise are his colors, and he's the driver of the swamp thing, the swamp craft, like the air hydrofoil swamp skimmer thing. Mm -hmm. As I looked at his action figure, I realized that he is wearing this, like, leather daddy jockstrap. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> as part of just his regular uniform. <laughs> and it, so that was very, very strange when I looked at it. And then just yesterday, I did a drawing of Dr. Mindbender, who is, like, the Cobra Crazy Mad Scientist. And his outfit is that... He wears no shirt; he wears these big, puffy purple flowing pants, and he has a like armored cod piece with these essentially like metal strap uh suspenders that his cape is attached to, and it is very, very bizarre and As I started thinking about this, like there's a lot more in cobra that is very very strange the the baroness is like in leather and a armored corset destro is some kind of masochist in this just steel mask that he always wears then it gets strange when you look at figures like big boa who again has like this armored codpiece metal straps and this metal head mask that he wears he's kind of like a snm um, torture man <laughs> disguised as a cobra trainer
1: oh he's got boxing gloves that's cool
0: yeah and he has boxing <laughs> gloves that's like his oh no 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 this is just is for boxing <laughs> it's like his this is a legit outfit trust me this is what all boxers wear <laughs> And then you've got Raptor, who is basically a furry but with a a eagle <laughs> or a falcon rather than like a bear. I,
1: I've been pulling them up on my computer because I finally got smart enough to realize I don't have to look up things on my phone when we record because I'm oh. recording on a computer. Nice. I, okay. That happens partially because my, my old computer sucked. So it's like I would not use it because it was so slow, but this computer's good, so Yeah, you know, I these are it's hilarious. Like One, it makes me think of when you're reading X-Men, you start to realize how kinky a lot of uh, the X-Men costumes are. Uh, And two, it illustrates the fact that it's like with toys, you have to have them like pop. You have to have them look, you know, interesting and original. Like one of the things that was always said with the Ninja Turtle toys is that every limb has to look different because they want there to be like a lot of, you know, a lot of things to attract kids with it. You know, a lot of variants and interesting details. Um, and looking at the the G.I. Joe figures, like, you see kind of that. But so, like, these are just normal human beings, though. You yeah. Know, maybe with some kind of powers or skills or whatever. They decided to dress like this. Yeah. They wanted to show off the muscles and stuff, but to make them, especially, I mean, how they pumped out tons of these toys, right? Like, oh, yeah. Tons and tons. Yeah. So you have to start getting really creative with the, like, what you're doing with what they wear and it is really hard to do that without it getting kind of kind of weird.
0: Yeah. Well, they could have given Dr. Mindbender a shirt.
1: <laughs> and it, it would have been fine, <laughs> you know? But then you wouldn't see his muscles and you'd be like, I don't want a figure of this old bald dude. I maybe maybe <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean like yeah, thinking about what things make the figure look interesting or dynamic i guess like really colorful crazy costumes is gonna go a long way and then like it but if you put full clothing on every i don't know like maybe the like it's kind of like shirts and skins like when you play basketball when you're young which i've never done that like done shirts and skins but people uh-huh. do that. you see it in movies whatever i don't know um you know like maybe just that creates some more variance but i think especially when you get to the fact that like some of the the key characters that they started with were already kind of weird you're, I guess you're just only going to get weirder from there.
0: Yeah, I just. It's one of those things that I played with Copperhead all the time as a kid and sent him on tw- plenty of missions in his little uh, swamp skimmer throughout my life. And the water moccasin, I just remembered the name of that vehicle. And so I've looked at and held and played with this figure tons <laughs> in my life. It is but as a child. And I never really looked at it closely and understood, huh. That's a really weird leather leather belt jock strap thing that he's wearing <laughs> over his outfit. It just didn't click until I actually had to look at the details because I wanted to recreate them in a drawing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's You it's gotta been,
1: protect your junk, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
0: Yeah. So it's been a very interesting revelatory uh, week for me as I've been drawing these Cobras and realizing, yeah, Cobra High Command, because the normal troops, they're dressed in fairly normal, well, normal for Cobra, right? But they're not any weird kink <laughs> exhibited in the troops' outfits, just strange coloration, like let's throw you into Battlefield wearing bright red and blue coloring (laughs) so you know that's kind of odd but aside from that there's nothing like really weird it's all the like the cobra high command that is very very strange so it just makes me it's like this whole new twist on things that the cobra high command that to like get anywhere in cobra you need to be a little weird (laughs) and (laughs) and uh have have some interesting uh, takes on things. So anyway, that was a, a big revelation for me this week that I just never realized before.
1: Uh, you and your kinky GI Joes.
0: I know, I know. I had no idea. I had no idea this whole time.
1: Yeah. Uh, you like you're All the good guys dress regular. You know, I guess it just goes to show that uh, sexual perversion is definitely a pathway to evil.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's how it starts, you know. <laughs> a, a, a little fun in the bedroom and pretty much you're like, yeah, let's take over the world. Terrorism uh- is great.
1: I guess, you know, once the fun comes out of the bedroom is when you know you have a problem. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right.
0: So, yeah. Sorry I started us off in a a weird, (laughs) weird bit.
1: This this kind of changes my feelings about wanting you to do a drawing for me. That feels a little too dirty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want me to do a big boa drawing for you? (laughs) Extra kinky. Like, make sure that cod piece is massive. (laughs) You got it. Oh, well. Goodness. Yeah. So, one of the reasons we're recording specifically today is um, my my uncle passed away yesterday, and I thought about it after having a chance to kind of you know emotionally work through stuff, and I thought about with you know coping with how I was feeling and stuff. It, it, it wasn't a surprise that my uncle passed away. It was kind of a surprise it was so quick, but he had cancer and he's been battling cancer for years, and it was the kind of thing where we knew it was coming and. Uh, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago, my mom let me know that he decided to stop treatment and to go home on hospice. And, but I, like I talked to her, I was like, do we, what does this mean as far as like how long he has? And, um, we weren't given really any indication it would be this quick. So it, it definitely caught me off guard, but I got to thinking about, you know, what my uncle would want from how people react and one of the first things I did after I just was able to get that, like, kind of initial processing of it is I was like, I got to do something. Because my uncle, one of the things about him is he was always doing stuff. Like, he was always looking for new things to learn, to do, doing the things that he loved doing. So, I got up and I went to the grocery store and I got some things that we needed there. Because, like, I just want to get up and go out and do something. Then I came home and I cooked some, uh, some soup that I was planning on making already. I had that for dinner and... But just, like, kind of thinking about, like, the the things that made him special to me, it kind of made me realize that, like, I already knew he had a big impact on my life, but he also set a really big example about always kind of being inquisitive and trying new things and doing interesting things, and... Over the, the course of the last couple of years, of course, with knowing he had cancer and knowing that he was fighting it and eventually getting to the point where we knew it was not a question of if he would survive the cancer, but how long he would, you know, be able to live for. It. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reflecting on just different things from the past, and, and I wanted to talk about a couple of them. And one of them I actually asked you to be ready to talk about because I actually have never really experienced it, and we'll get to that second. But the first one I wanted to talk about is a video game. For the TurboGrafx-16, uh, when I was a kid, my first video game system was a Nintendo. And then one Christmas after I'd had the Nintendo for a while, the Super Nintendo was out by then, and my parents asked me, would I rather get a Super Nintendo with the one game it comes with, or would I rather get my uncle's TurboGrafx-16 with all the games he had for it? Like, I, I They gave me the option to choose which, which I wanted to do. And I had played my uncle's TurboGrafx-16, and I was like, oh, that'd be awesome to get that with all those games. I don't remember too many of the games. I remember a couple. One, not the one I'm going to talk about, is uh Bonk's Adventure. Have you ever played that? No. It's a game, it's a side-scrolling type of adventure game. You're a little caveman with a giant head, and you're going around, like, fighting dinosaurs and bad guys and whatever, and if you eat... Meet you get all enraged and then you could like you go into like you know power mode kind of a thing fun game just like in real life <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and you know if you have a giant head of course what you do is you jump in the air and then like you flip and you like land on your head on bad guys so that way you kill them the other game that I remembered I couldn't remember the title of it I like I wasn't really sure what it was I just had these like very distinct memories of portions of it so last night I. Google Turbo, TurboGrafx-16 games, and I looked through the whole list, and I was still like, I don't know what the heck it is. And I just started like, okay, maybe this one, maybe this one, and I just, I stumbled onto it. The game is called Keith Courage in Alpha Zones. And doing a little bit of, uh, of looking around, this game was actually packaged with the TurboGrafx-16 when it came out in North America, which explains why my uncle had it. It's, it's kind of interesting knowing that piece, like, okay, would he have gotten this game if it didn't come with the system, or, you know, like, you know, it, it obviously wasn't a game that he chose to get, it just came with it, you know? Mm-hmm. But it also kind of does fit in with some of the other games that he had that were those, you know, like I said, action-adventure, side-scrolling type of games, cause that's what this is. What did it, uh, the, the story in this basically is you're Keith Courage, and you, there's like kind of two worlds, um... And like the first half of a level is in the overworld, and you're Keith Courage, and you have a dagger, and you're fighting like, like actually kind of cute little animals. <laughs> you have to you have to kill cats. Uh, oh, sounds worse than terrible. it is. Yeah, it's really weird. The cats like will be spinning through the air and then drop down at you, but they're like the um, the uh, what are they called? They're like the Japanese like um, good fortune type of character cats. Okay.
0: So it makes it even worse that these are good fortune cats that you have to kill.
1: The kind of stereotypical like, you know, little statues you see, it's like a good luck cat, but it's yeah. like mm-hmm. spinning through the air and then drops down at you, and if you get a golden one, you get even more gold out of them. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Um I was watching a part of a playthrough of it yesterday to kind of remember some of this stuff. One of the things that really stood out to me about it was from the overworld side of the game where there's a level where everything flips. Like, you're still going along, like, right side up, but suddenly, like, the orientation for everything else is upside down. So the bad guys are walking around on the ground, which is above you, and, um, like, that just really always stuck with me, that kind of total flipping of of the the layout of the world. And that's the first game I had ever experienced that in as a kid. Um, And then on the Underworld side, when you go to the Underworld, you get to the end of the Overworld level you get transported to the underworld by this rainbow and it takes you there. And as it transitions, it shows you morphing into this like a, you know, mech kind of battle suit thing. And when you're in the underworld, you have a a more powerful weapon. Um, in the overworld, you could buy these bombs that you could use that basically as projectiles in the underworld. Um, and the characters that you're fighting in the underworld get like really interesting. There's these guys that are guns, like imagine a pistol but you just turn the pistol into a person. It's so, like the handle is like the torso and you got this, the, the barrel coming out of your head and you're just this big bulky guy wearing sunglasses in the underworld. Like, I don't know why you need sunglasses in the underworld, but <laughs> um, that was, His I think probably so the bright. funniest character. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Shoes. I was trying to find some more about, um about the characters and the, the, the bad guys in this and stuff like this, but it, there's, not surprisingly, for a game that's this old and uh, you know wasn't a lasting thing, uh, there's not that much to find. Um, there's also these flying like alien heads that look kind of like a uh, kind of like knockoffs of the Xenomorph aliens in Alien. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it's just, it gets crazy, and then uh, when you get down to the bottom of it, the. The level designs are all basically the same for the backgrounds. You get down to the very bottom of the underworld level. And in the background, there's all these, like, it's kind of like they have these insets with giant mummy-looking characters. But they, like, are flashing on and off, like, a uh, red or a green color. So my son's watching it with me. He's like, those are really creepy. I was like, do you need me to turn this off? Like, it's right before bedtime for him. He's like, no, but they're creepy. Okay. <laughs> um, and then you fight, the, like, the boss down at that point. So I didn't watch through the whole playthrough, but I just, it's its funny to me, like, how much this has stuck in my head, and I've always remembered it, but I didn't remember specific details very well, and so it's kind of cool to, like, actually figure it out and check it out, and that, I mean, that's one thing that's cool with the advances in our technology. If it wasn't for YouTube, I would never see this again, uh, but with YouTube, it's like, now you can go on and, like, watch a gameplay of, like, any freaking game, pretty much, uh, and, you know, get to relive it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, and sometimes it's it's more fun to watch like a, a walkthrough gameplay of it, I find, because, you know, I think we were talking about this recently, that sometimes when you revisit old games, they're clunky and just not as much fun as we remember them. And the, and the memory of how much fun it was is from another time. And when we try to go back and play them again the, the approaching them again with the, from the current day with you know looking at old clunky controls I, like, I think we were talking about Tomb Raider uh, like yeah. a month ago about how going back and playing it now, can never live up to the memory of how fun it was at the time, because now it's just like, Oh, like these are weird (laughs) graphics. The controls are tough and weird and clunky. It's just not as good as a current game, but there's this fond memory of the game. And so I've found that sometimes watching a game and also watching it, you're usually watching people that know exactly what to do they're not just bumbling through it trying to figure it out they're have a purpose they know what they're doing they're you know going the most direct path to get through the game and so it's a way to relive the game in kind of get some of the memories without having to confront some of the realities of, Ooh, this is kind of clunky and weird and hard. And I don't remember quite remember what I'm doing or how are all the controls work and stuff like that. So that can actually, I've found sometimes be a lot more fun than actually playing the game just to get that hit blast of nostalgia that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Tomb Raider is a good example. It's fine. I just pulled up an image of it and like, course, like Tomb Raider came out when uh, I know I was in high school, and you were ballpark around there, and being like that, yeah, that was a, a, a hot female character, right? And like you look back at the graphics, sounds like, good lord, did we stretch our imaginations at that age? Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a weird bunch of polygons <laughs> that vaguely resemble a human. Oh yeah. So in uh, one last thing on this game that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, this was obviously a Japanese game that was translated over, and some of the translations were pretty funny. There's four characters in the overworld that you, you come across by going into their huts. And they're basically NPCs that are there to sell you stuff. Um, there's the weapons master that sells you new swords, uh, and those swords you just use in the underworld. So at the overworld, you always have your crappy little dagger. There's the prophet that warns you of danger. It basically tells you, like, what's coming up in the level. Like, it was actually... One of the things I thought that was interesting about this game as far as, as the design is... Um, I think it was the third level. There's actually portions where you, ha- you have to go through, like, lava that hurts you. So you have to make sure you're strong enough to pass through it without dying. Because you have to get hurt as you proceed. And usually in a game, like, you can be skillful enough to avoid being hurt. Like, there's always a way to... I just thought it was interesting that in this game you can't avoid getting hurt at this certain point. It didn't do a lot of damage like Sammy was watching it like why is it, why isn't he losing any hearts? <laughs> and after a while he finally lost one heart. So <laughs> hmm. like, oh, there, there you go see. But um so that was interesting to me. Um the Wise Wizard sells bolt bombs to Keith. Um if you don't buy bolt bombs from the wizard, he goes, are you sure you're strong enough? <laughs> Like, they they, they, they they question you. Like, it's such high-pressure marketing tactics here. It's like they, they <laughs> literally are, like, crap-talking you if you don't buy their stuff. The funniest one, though, to me is Nurse Nancy, who will heal you. First of all, her character looks like a doll, pretty much. Um, it's just, like, really... Like, the other ones look like grizzled old men. Then you have this, like, girl that looks like a doll. But she says that she can give you life for kind of an exorbitant amount of money. Like, or her her refilling your life is almost as expensive as buying a new sword. Um, and then if, um, like, as it goes through, it says, if do you have enough gold? If not, go back. <laughs> and that just cracks Ooh. me up. It's like, do you have enough money to pay me to heal you? If not, get out. You're done. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> It cracks me up that the healer in the game is like, I don't really care about you. I want your money, and if you don't have it, get out. It cracks me up the way that they word it. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say about that game. <sighs> and,
0: I know that there's some nostalgia there for this game, but it doesn't sound that great to me honest. No,
1: <laughs> you know, watching the video, I was like, this game looks super tedious w- with having remembered this game for so long, but just kind of vaguely and never like really digging back into it, and especially like I said, seeing that this game was packaged with the system, it wasn't a purchase that my uncle made because he wanted this game specifically. I wonder, you know, like, I think about how I would be now if I got a game with something i play. I'm like, this is lame, you know? Like, did my uncle get that game and just think it was stupid, but it came with the system? Or did he enjoy it? I mean, back then, it's like, you know, video games were still more novel. And my uncle had video games, but I don't think he was ever... He wasn't even the uncle that, that, like, got me into video games. It was my, my mom's younger brother. And my uncle, who just passed away, is my mom's brother-in-law. But my mom's younger brother had a Nintendo when I was a kid. That was the first system I played. Like, my dad never really cared about video games. Like, he played a little bit here and there. Like, I, I think back then he would borrow my uncle's Atari or something like that sometimes. So I think, like, my, my uncle who just passed away was more of the generation of video games being a novelty... And being a a fun thing to do, but not getting as invested. Whereas, like, my mom's younger brother, that uncle, it was kind of more, even though he's, he's you know, quite a, a bit older than me, he's not as, there's not as much of a generational jump in between our ages. I think he was more in, like, the beginnings of our generation where video games were, we were a little more invested into them, you know? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah but uh yeah i i definitely will not be trying to find a way to play this that's for sure (laughs) okay
0: so you you, you've got all the everything you needed just from watching a playthrough of it
1: yeah the the video i sent you a link to it's a 50 minute video if you watch some of it i bet you a quarter of the time is literally the guy just standing there repeatedly killing bad guys to get gold it very quickly got tedious i was like this is definitely not a speed playthrough of this game (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, you sent me a video of this without really any context or anything. And I started it playing, and I saw that this was like a 50-minute video, and I just said, I'm sorry, there's no way I'm watching this. I'm not watching a 50-minute playthrough of this old side-scrolling video game. Just not going to happen. Yeah, you got enough of a taste of it. Yeah, I did. I got enough of just a what it is just from a really quick watching about 20 seconds of it. And that wasn't good enough.
1: One of the things that, that my uncle says going off for the video game, but one of the things that he would do that I'll always remember 4th of July where we grew up, the County we lived in, you could buy fireworks. So I know some people like out here in Maine, like nobody really does fireworks like that. Like you go to fireworks firework shows where they shoot them up in the air pretty much, you know? So like, I always telling my son about this and he's, he's never seen fireworks like the ones that I grew up with. Um, did you ever do those kind of fireworks? Ones you just like put out the street, like the fuse, step back, and watch it go off?
0: No, not really, because I grew up in a county that didn't allow fireworks. There was one city near us; it was a Fillmore for anyone who knows Southern California that would sell fireworks, but even then, it wasn't like the good kind. It was like you go there to buy the sparklers. And maybe that the best they'd have is one of those like fountain things that you sit on the ground and it just kind of shoots out some sparks out of it, something like that. But one summer, we were on vacation in all around like the Northwest United States. It was like we went up to Washington, then through Idaho over to. Wyoming and Montana and we were visiting national parks and camping and stuff around like Wyoming and Montana and there they sell fireworks and it's whatever you want we got it (laughs) so we had a great time buying fireworks and setting them off it was I always liked the ones that You would set on the ground and light, and they would, like, start spinning around and then take off because they would have little helicopter blades on them or something Mm -hmm. like that. So they would then spin around and shoot up into the air. Or I also really liked bottle rockets. But that was my one summer of pyromania where I was able to really (laughs) enjoy fireworks. (laughs) And my goodness, it was so much fun because I was probably... 13 years old, maybe 13, 14 years old, somewhere around there. So I was in prime pyromania age for this and
1: really, really enjoyed it. Around when I was five or six, we moved just two towns over basically, but it moved us from Los Angeles County to Kern County. Fireworks like this were illegal in Los Los Angeles County, even though people would still buy them and do them because they could go to Kern County to buy them. So, But then we moved uh, from Palmdale to Rosemont, and in Rosemont, that was in Kern County, so they were legal. And that's where, um, growing up from there until about when I was in high school, we lived around the corner from my aunt and uncle, my other aunt aunt and uncle, and my grandma. So, like, my my mom's whole family was right there, and my dad's family was uh, mostly just, like, a town or two away from us, basically— So a lot of times when we were really young, before my parents split, like both sides of the family would get together for a lot of holidays. It was pretty cool, um, to, to have memories of that. Uh, but, uh, so we were able to buy these fireworks and my, my uncle Don, who passed away, um, he, he loved guns and knives and explosives and stuff like that. But he was also like, you say that usually you get like an image of, you know, some of the, you know, less savory people in our society nowadays, But he was always so responsible with it. And that's one of the things that I took away and learned. Like, he's the only person I've ever gone shooting with. We lived in in the desert, and we, like, you could go out a little ways and be in the middle of nowhere, basically. So there were places around us where people would go to go shooting. And um, his just emphasis on safety and respect was always so strong that it always really set that expectation for things um, and, and really instilled that within me. But still, he loved it. Like, I remember uh, before we moved to that house, um, being at his house when we lived in, in Palmdale, a couple towns away, probably like half an hour driving away, him making bombs uh, himself. Just like little, I don't know, probably like cherry bombs, maybe like size of bombs, but probably maybe not even as powerful. Just little like gunpowder bombs. Because he just like, he lived on the edge of the desert. So he could just go out and like, you know, have fun with them in his backyard, basically jump forward to a few years. So like we're able to buy all these fireworks and there were the ones like you talked about. We never got those a whole lot though. Uh, my favorite ones were ones, I think they were called like dancing flowers or something like that, but you lit them. And when they went off, they would start spinning around on the ground. And it, it looked like uh kind of like the ghost from Pac-Man. If they were like just dancing around like crazy, like that's always what I thought of them.
0: Okay. I remember, I think we called those roses or they would sell them as roses
1: yeah, that might be it.
0: And would they kind of, like, change colors as they burned? But they would just spin yeah. around super fast, so they became just kind of like this, this spinning blur on the ground.
1: Yeah, and they were dan- yeah, they were just basically, like, dancing around on the ground. And because of how they were spinning, it kind of gave them the look of the shape of, like, the ghosts in Pac-Man, you know? So he- my uncle would build these massive grand finales. He would get, um, you know, boards, and he would mount the fireworks along the board. And I'm, I'm talking like sometimes it would be, you know, 20 feet long and he would fuse them all together intermittently throughout. He would fuse in those, uh, the roses, uh, that we were just talking about. And so, like, after already doing fireworks for so, you know, some amount of time, like half an hour, an hour, we would do this grand finale and he'd have it all fused up and we would light it. And this sucker would go sometimes for like 20 or 30 minutes of just like nonstop <laughs> wow, that's fireworks. Awesome. And, I mean, we had, you know, three to five families all contributing fireworks when we did it. Because everybody would buy fireworks and we'd all come together to, you know, to celebrate the fourth. That's uh, one of the biggest memories. Like, talking with my family and stuff. Like, remembering the firework shows. That's, you know, an indelible impression that he made. But reflecting on kind of what a lot of that stuff meant. Like, the the putting the effort into creating something the having joy in your skills and your hobbies and you know like I said he was he was very diversified in, in what he would do he was always trying new things and and you know like that's definitely like some of the big things I learned from him
0: those are really good takeaways
1: yeah I feel like I'm leading this whole thing but obviously like I had a lot of stuff to talk about That I'll just transition us to the next part that I asked you to contribute to Paul,
0: I led us into Cobra is Kinky, so I think that you can't go downhill from there. So go ahead.
1: The, the last thing that I, I asked you to talk about some, because I actually don't know very much about it, my uncle likes sci fi stuff. And, you know, thinking back to what he liked, one of the things that I always remembered is he really liked Battlestar Galactica. I don't remember much about it other than that he liked it. I remember when I was, uh I was probably like a teenager then. So like checking about when the different series came out, like I think what I remember was him actively watching the, like the reboot series. Um yeah. And I would have been a teenager around that time. It started in 2004, 2004. So I would have been in my twenties then. Um, if it was that series. So I I don't know. Maybe I'm mixing up some memories here, but I know he liked Battlestar Galactica nonetheless. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if he also watched the one from the 70s. I remember him getting Battlestar Galactica trading cards one time. um, It must have been when the new series came out and just thinking that they were all cool. One of the things I did when I knew he was battling cancer was I checked around to see if anybody might have Battlestar Galactica comics. My uncle never really read comics. Like I never read comics as a kid, but like I never saw him read them. But I was like, that's something that would be fun for him to get, you know. That is something I can give to him that, you know, would surprise him and, and be off the wall. Because it's like, um, you know, he's never been one of those people that had like a... The kind of interest that you could just buy any kind of random... Like, you know, I could buy you a G.I. Joe anything and you would enjoy it at least to some extent, right? Like, he was never yeah. quite like that. But he liked Battlestar Galactica. So, of a, uh, a Twitter friend, Tim... This was actually, I think, my first interaction with him. Like, he gave me some to give to my uncle. So he sent me the comics. I packaged them up, and I mailed them out to California. I told my mom that they were coming so she could let my aunt know so she could kind of keep an eye out for him. And at this time, um, with the treatment my uncle was having, he wasn't always himself, and he wasn't always fully lucid. Um, Some of the stuff he was doing was making him kind of loopy sometimes and stuff like that. After a while, I I check in with my mom. I'm like, did he get them? And she didn't really know. And she checked in with my aunt. My aunt came home one day and found him reading these comics. Had no idea where they came from or anything. He found the package on his own and just busted them out and started reading them and enjoying them. So, like, that's, uh, that's a memory that makes me really happy. of something that I was able to give to him a little bit while he was going through all this. But with him passing yesterday, I've kind of been thinking about trying to watch Battlestar Galactica because it was something that I know that he liked, and a way Mm. to kind of interact with something that, you know, gives me memories of him. But I've never really watched it, so I wanted to talk about it some, and you have watched it.
0: I sure have watched it. I watched the whole thing, that whole reboot series. And when I think about Battlestar Galactica, I really think about it as the first show that created this new paradigm in television that has led to all the TV that we have now. This paradigm of making a series that is sequential in nature, telling a storyline that progresses from episode to episode rather than just being an episodic television series where it's a detective that solves a new mystery or, you know, a group of friends that get into new hijinks every episode, that sort of thing. It was the first one that felt like it was more about telling this longer ongoing series that or story that I really remember. And I feel like it really kind of kicked off this, quote unquote, golden age of television that we have been experiencing for the last 10 or 15 years where we've gotten tons of really great TV series that tell really great stories and have risen above the original kind of episodic nature of television storytelling. Like Battlestar Galactica is the first one I really remember like that. I think is like Battlestar Galactica and Lost are the two that come to mind as these Series that really elevated what television could be and what type of stories could be told in television and and change how people tell stories in television for the better, in in my view, it is essentially a reimagining of the old Battlestar Galactica story from the seventies. It follows this one ship, which is the the there were in the whatever the original worlds that the people inhabited they had these warships called battle stars and the cylons which are the bad guys they're basically robots the cylons launch a sneak attack on all of the I don't want to say earth planets because it's not earth it's you know some distant solar system and they uh, essentially are almost all wiped out. The 12 planets of this space society are nearly completely wiped out except for this one battle star and the people aboard it. And so they essentially then go on the run from the Cylons that are trying to destroy all humans and are trying to find the mythological 13th colony, which is earth. That's kind of the premise of the whole series. And one thing they did that I think was really interesting and different from the original is they had the Cylons develop so that now there were Cylons that appeared like people. And so it added this new twist to it where I think there was like 11 or 13 different models of human-like Cylons where basically each model, it was duplicates of the same person. They all looked exactly the same. And so it was this mystery about who are Cylons, and sometimes we would know somebody as a Cylon because there would be two characters in different locations that look exactly the same. And so we know, oh, well, obviously they're a Cylon then. But then there's other characters that we don't know are Cylons, and they're is it's kind of becomes this big mystery thriller element to the show in addition to the sci-fi warfare element to the show and it was a, a a really very entertaining show. I I loved it. The end kind of falls apart a little bit. It gets a little weird and mystical at times towards the end, but in uh, still pretty fun way like it wasn't enough to make me hate the show <laughs> you know it, it wasn't an ending so bad that it like ruins the whole show experience it was just a little like hmm, okay like not quite the perfect ending but still pretty darn
1: good awesome yeah i i watched i tried to find where it was streaming and i picked one of the options for the series to watch and the first episode starts off previously on and i was like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute what's going on here so I looked a little bit more, and I realized that it started with uh, a two episode, three hour mini series. So I found that to start first. And I watched, I just watched a little bit of it. I honestly, like, I was having a really hard time focusing um, at that point last night, and like my eyes were just like giving up working basically. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm not gonna try to watch this because I can't really pay attention right now, anyways. But just getting a little bit of a taste of the beginning, like the the very first scene. Talks about how they set up this like space station for the humans to to engage diplomatically with the Cylons. And it's been forty years since they've heard from the Cylons. So this guy gets in there, sits down at the table, puts out like pictures of his family, and he's clearly getting ready to just like sit there and do nothing. Yeah. And then somebody actually comes in, and he has that like what the hell look on his face. But you get the first two you know, like robot characters, which I'm guessing those are like the non humanistic Cylons.
0: Yeah. So, what happens is, like, within the lore of the show, there was a huge war between humans and Cylons, like, 50 years ago or something. And at the time, Cylons were, they just appeared like robots, like, obvious robots, exactly like how Cylons looked at back in the original show in the 70s. Just, yeah, robots. And,. So that is all that humans ever knew about Cylons is, well, they look like robots. So after the war, there was some sort of treaty, which you're kind of alluding to, where basically once a year, there is this set like safe point, which is where they can meet up in case they ever need to talk. But the Cylons have just gone radio silent and essentially disappeared and have been had no contact with humans since that war ended, and whatever truce was declared was declared. So, yeah, it it starts, it shows up, this diplomat expects nothing to happen, as usual, but then two robots walk in, and I think one of the human-looking Cylons also walks in,
1: right? Yep, yeah, after they come in, um, then then she walks in, then goes and makes out with the old guy, which is weird. But... (laughs) But the uh, the, the robot looking ones were pretty cool. And one thing that struck me with it is like that was, uh, what did you say, 2004? Yeah. They they looked good for that being 17 years ago. You know, a lot of times, especially for a, a show made for TV, the the effects show their age really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they approached doing it, I think they did it in a way that, that holds up. You know, like they were practical effects, and you know they have like that red light that moves back and forth across their visors that kind of gives them that feeling of being more alive than than not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean that was the only taste I've gotten of them so far. The little bit that I watched after that was basically kind of giving you a feel a little bit for the, um, the you know Battlestar Galactica. Um, as they go around the ship, and they're talking about like how outdated it is, and you're, you know, kind of get a little touch of different characters and stuff like that. And that was—I didn't get very far into it at that point. That's where it was a little harder to keep focusing on those details. I think I'll probably actually start it again from the beginning, just so that way. You know I, I don't not remember who everybody they introduced is already. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to to watching it more. I think I tweeted something about it last night and, um, one of my other Twitter friends, Glenn jumped in and said that it was really good. He said that he thought the mini series was kind of dry, but once you get into the, like the ongoing series that, that it gets good really quickly. So I'm looking forward to to really giving it a shot.
0: Yeah. The original mini series is really, it feels like a prelude and it really is kind of like establishing most of what the setup for the rest of the show is because the the miniseries shows this initial strike by the Cylons and I'm mostly going to spoil a lot of stuff because it's kind of just the setup anyway for the, the real meat of what the show is. But the miniseries essentially shows this initial strike by the Cylons and most of these colonies being destroyed and just this single Battlestar remains. And you mentioned that... They're talking about how old the the Battlestar is, and that's actually what ends up saving the ship. It's, It's so old that its computer systems can't be hacked by the Cylons, and so it's the only ship that remains undamaged and undestroyed when the Cylons attack. So it also sets up this fact that they're very much underdogs because they're basically using this much older, less advanced ship as their home base to in their fight against the Cylons.
1: The way they approach it in the beginning of, of, you know, that episode of the mini series, it's, it's so obviously blatant, you know, it's like, Oh, look how old this ship is. Oh, why is this ship so old? Oh man. Like that's kind of the tone of it. Like as there's like a tour guide taking people around, like look how stupid this is. They have a phone with a cord, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, So it's alluded to pretty heavily right off the bat. So like that, that all, you know, if you know anything about sci-fi stories, you're like, yep, the ship is going to be the one that survives and they're able to because of this.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. I think that it's, it's a very enjoyable show and I would be interested to see how it, how it is now because at the time, it felt really groundbreaking and new in terms of like the way that it told stories and the type of storytelling that it used. But I think a lot of that type of storytelling is now fairly common in television shows. So it would be interesting to see how it, uh, how it holds up along those lines.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching it. So at some point, either once I watch it all or once I at least get deep into it, we'll revisit talking about it. That sounds good.
0: Well, I think maybe this is a good place to wrap this one up. I We started a little late today, so I think I'd, we are going to go a little short on this one so we can get on with our weekend days. Yeah, yep. Well, thank you for sharing a bit about your experiences with your uncle. I'm I'm very sorry to hear for your loss, but it sounds like at the same time, I hope we were able to look at some of those positive things that he contributed and um it sounds like he really shared a lot of really great stuff with you and uh, was able to impart some really good lessons ab- above and beyond just an enjoyment of something but you know what what the meaning behind that enjoyment is and that's really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, reflecting on it I think that outside of my parents like, he, he is definitely one of the few people in that next sphere of the most influential people in my life. You know, it's like we all have, you know, different family members affect us different ways. And he definitely, like, had a big impact on everybody. And, um, you know, aside from the fun stuff we talked about today, just, you know, role modeling how to be a person, how to be compassionate and, and kind and patient. I think that that patience and compassions, compassion are two of the, the strongest character traits that he imparted. And I feel like those are strong parts of who I am and uh, got a lot from him. So um, thank you for taking the time to, to talk about him and some of the things that he enjoyed with me. Thank you for everybody for listening. And um, yeah, we will see you next time. Hopefully talking about some Sandman. Sounds good.